Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. The Trump administration is facing pushback from Iran and Iraq following its assassination of top leaders from both countries in Baghdad. Washington's response so far is more coercion and aggression. On Friday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo rejected Iraq's call for the departure of U.S. troops despite a recent vote in the Iraqi parliament. We are happy to continue the conversation with the Iraqis about what the right structure is. Our, our mission set there is very clear. We've been there to perform a training mission to help the Iraqi security forces be successful and to continue the campaign against ISIS, to continue the counter-dash campaign. Uh, we're going to continue that mission. Meanwhile, the White House announced new sanctions on Iran. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said the new sanctions would target those involved in major sectors of Iran's economy. I think we have a hundred percent confidence and we are consistent in our view that the economic sanctions are working, that if we didn't have these sanctions in place, literally Iran would have tens of billions of dollars. They would be using that for terrorist activities throughout the region and to enable them to do more bad things. And there's no question, by cutting off the economics to the regime, uh, we, we are having an impact. These new sanctions come on top of existing sanctions that have already seriously harmed Iran's economy and people. And all of this comes as the Trump administration's stated reasons for starting this current crisis continue to unravel. The Washington Post reports that on the same day that the U.S. killed Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Muhandas in Baghdad, the U.S. also tried to murder a senior Iranian military official in Yemen. That mission failed. And this failed assassination raises more doubt that the U.S. was trying to prevent an imminent attack as it claimed. Instead, it appears the U.S. was carrying out an assassination campaign against top Iranian military leaders and their allies. Even Mike Pompeo is having a hard time sticking to the official story. Speaking of Fox News, Pompeo seemed to acknowledge that there was no imminent attack. There is no doubt that there were a series of imminent attacks that were being plotted by Qasem Soleimani. We don't know precisely when, and we don't know precisely where, but it was real. There was already ample reason to question the White House account, especially because the Iraqi Prime Minister, Adil Abdul Mahdi, has said that Soleimani came to Baghdad not to plot an attack, but to in fact carry out a diplomatic mission aimed at reducing tensions with Saudi Arabia. Well, to discuss all of this, I spoke earlier to Scott Ritter. He is a former UN weapons inspector, a former Marine Corps intelligence officer, and author of the book Deal Breaker, Donald Trump and the Unmaking of the Iran Nuclear Deal. Scott Ritter, welcome to Pushback. Let's start with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo telling Iraq that despite its requests, uh, the U.S. will not discuss a troop withdrawal from Iraq. Well, it's the... Um... The height of arrogance and uh, literally imperial hubris, and it puts the American forces that are currently deployed in Iraq and indeed the entire region in a very precarious uh, situation. Right now, um, we're there as the guests of the Iraqi government. Um, at some point in time, uh, this will probably change. I don't see the Iraqi government backing down from this. Um, one of the things that can happen is the Iraqi government can revoke the status of forces agreement that currently exists regarding the uh, employment of American military power uh, on Iraqi soil. And when this happens, it will radically alter the rules of engagement 
that American troops operate under and place American combat commanders um, in, in a bind because now the you know issues of uh, the law of war come into play. When and how are they authorized to use force? Uh, and not only that, it will expose them uh, as illegal occupiers to um, you know these Iraqi militias, these pro-Iranian Shia militias um, that are already pretty ticked off at the Americans for uh, assassinating their leader. Uh, and killing their comrades, and now um, you know will have solidified their status in the eyes of the Iraqis as illegitimate occupiers, and uh, it's a virtual guarantee that violence will be brought to bear on these Americans. There will be casualties, and you know the blood of Americans, and indeed all the Iraqis who are going to suffer as a result, is clearly you know on the hands of uh, Mike Pompeo, Donald Trump, and uh, anybody else who has uh, authorized this frankly speaking, illegal and illegitimate act. You know, since you mentioned the killing of Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, the leader of the PMF, uh, let me ask you about that because there's been a lot of attention, understandably, on Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force. But let me ask you about what his what um, al-Muhandis' killing means for Iraq. You talk in your book, Deal Breaker, about the centrality of the PMF in defeating ISIS. Look, there, there, you know, we can talk about, you know, Qasem Soleimani. He's a legend in the in in Iran, in Iraq, and in Syria, and anywhere where, frankly speaking, he's uh, he's operated. Um, you know, the people that he he worked with uh, view him as, um, you know, one of the the greatest leaders, thinkers, uh, most humane men of all time. I know in America we we demonize him as a terrorist, but um, the fact is he wasn't. Um, and neither is uh, Mr. Mohandas. Uh, uh, Mohandas is a more difficult character from an American perspective because he has a history that uh, you know dates back to um, you know, what we call terrorist bombings of American embassies in Kuwait. Uh, he was involved in uh, you know creating the Kaitab Hezbollah militia you know in 2003, uh, and he has been somebody who has been violently opposing um, the American occupation of Iraq. From the from the very beginning of of the occupation, uh, so Kaitiv Hezbollah actually predates the Popular Militia Forces or PMF. The PMF came into uh, existence uh, when ISIS uh, swept into Iraq from um, Syria in, in the summer of 2014, quickly occupying uh, western Iraq, the city of Mosul, and they were driving down on the city of Baghdad. The Iraqi army, the U.S. armed and trained uh, Iraqi army had collapsed, had literally thrown down their weapons and ran away. And there was nothing standing between ISIS and Baghdad until the Ayatollah Sistani, the, the head Shia um, authority in Iraq, issued a fatwa calling upon all Shia men to mobilize in defense of Baghdad. And this is the creation of the popular uh, militia forces, these tens of thousands of Shia youth who came together and joined existing militias like um, the Khatib, uh, Hezbollah, like uh, the JAM of uh, Mukhtar al-Sadr, et cetera. They, they all coalesced, uh, but the, the, you know, and Khatib Hezbollah uh, played an important role in this, but they only had a few thousand men. Uh, we're talking about mobilizing somewhere between 40 and 50,000 men. This is where Qasem Soleimani shown. He came in from Iran, and led the creation of the PMF as a viable fighting force, and then 
motivated them to confront ISIS in ferocious hand-to-hand combat in villages and towns uh, outside of Baghdad, driving ISIS back, um, you know, in, until and stabilizing the situation that allowed the United States to come in and um, and get involved in the ISIS fight. But if it weren't for Qasem Soleimani, uh, Mohansen, and the Khatib um, Hezbollah, uh, you know, Baghdad might have had the black flag of ISIS flying over it. So the Iraqi people haven't forgotten who stood up and defended Baghdad from the, the scourge of ISIS. And um, it wasn't just Qasem Soleimani. Yes, his name is first and foremost. But Mohansen also played a, a major role, and his death is a serious blow uh, to the PMF, to Kaitev Hezbollah, and to all of the Iraqi people. And I don't think the United States understands that, that there is a tremendous amount of hatred on the streets of Iraq today towards the United States for killing a national hero. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there are people who might hear this and when you say that Qasem Soleimani as you said earlier is was a humane figure that certainly flies in the face of what we hear in the US as you mentioned and what people I think would say uh, in arguing against that is they say well what about Syria because we often hear about Qasem Soleimani presiding over brutal tactics in Syria including starvation sieges uh, of towns that were fighting the Assad government that Qasem Soleimani was defending. So how would you respond to that? War is hell. Um, you know, siege warfare is a reality of warfare. Uh, it was a two-way street. Um, and we also have to remember that propaganda, you know, cuts both ways. Um, you know, I don't accept at face value anything the Iranians say about the role played by Qasem Soleimani in Syria. And I don't accept at face value anything the uh, Al-Qaeda opposition says about him Either uh, you have to look at the the facts at play. Um, you know, is it possible that there was um, wrongdoing on the part of Qasem Soleimani? Yes, but I will tell you this: if you go to Syria today and talk to the Syrian civilians who were liberated by the forces led or motivated by Qasem Soleimani, they are deeply grateful. Of course, the his his enemy, Al Qaeda, Al Nusra, ISIS. Um, the um, Islamicized uh, moderate rebels trained and organized by the United States, um, they're not going to be so happy about his success, and they'll do their best to slander this man's name. Some of what they say may be true, but I look at the big picture, and the big picture is the, one of the major reasons why Syria was able to turn the tables on these Islamic militant um, al-Qaeda-affiliated rebels was A, the intervention of the Russian Air Force, and B, the leadership provided by Qasem Soleimani in, uh, in motivating these militias to come in and help the Syrian army at their darkest hours. Today, the Syrian army has revived itself. It's, it's, it's able to hold its own on the battlefield. But in 2013, 2014, the Syrian army was a wreck. And if it wasn't for someone like Qasem Soleimani to come in and uh, be the leader that he was, uh, Damascus might have fallen to uh, al-Qaeda. And once again, we would have had the black flag of Islamic extremism flying over a major Arab capital. Qasem Soleimani helped prevent that. And every American should be grateful for that. I I don't think the United States, I don't think the American people understand uh, the favor this man did for us. Because, you know, as much as we dislike, you know, what he's done, um, having Damascus fall to Al-Qaeda, having Baghdad fall to ISIS would have been a nightmare scenario. Um, 
you know, and one that may not have been reversible. So, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be in, you know, rejoicing in his death. I think most Americans upon reflection should realize we made one hell of a mistake. And on that front about uh, Iran's role in preventing the fall of capitals, whether in Iraq or Syria to Al Qaeda and ISIS, let me say that this is a, uh, this is an opinion, this is a point of view that is pretty much accepted across a wide spectrum and includes Vali Nasser, who is a uh, well-known Iranian American academic who is a bitter critic of the Iranian government, but nonetheless, he writes this in Foreign Affairs, quote, without Iran's military reach and the strength of its network of allies and clients in Iraq and Syria, ISIS would have quickly swept through Damascus, Baghdad, and Erbil, the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan. Just illustrating there that this is actually not the uh, fringe position uh, that some people have made it out to be. No, you know, and there's there's just a lot of misconceptions. I, I don't I don't mean to you know divert too much, but you hear this you know from many Americans. Um, he has the blood of 600 Americans on his hands, uh, and what they're talking about is a, a period of time between 2005 and 2009 when um, Qasem Soleimani's Quds Force um, uh, is a paramilitary organization subordinated to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps that. Qasem Soleimani led, uh, intervened in Iraq on behalf of Shia uh, resistance fighters who were opposing an American occupation, which they viewed as illegitimate, illegal. Um, you know, and, and he employed weaponry designed to defeat America's technological superiority in heavy armor and armored vehicles. Uh, these explosively formed projectiles, a kind of uh, improvised explosive device, were very effective. In destroying American armor. He also employed something called the improved uh, rocket-assisted uh, mortar, uh, which lobbed, you know, these, these very lethal munitions into American camps, uh, killing and wounding many Americans. So I guess we could say, yes, he has the blood of hundreds of Americans on his hands. But is he any different than Jack Devine, a CIA uh, officer who organized the provision of Stinger missiles to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the 1980s to shoot down Soviet airplanes and turn the tide of the battlefield in that fight? Uh, no, he's not. He did the exact same thing that people we laud as heroes did during uh, to defeat the Soviet invasion and occupation of Afghanistan. There is no difference between Qasem Soleimani and Jack Devine and the other CIA and military uh, officers and operatives who fought the Soviet invasion in Afghanistan. The, the, the only difference is he defeated the United States, and we've never forgiven him for that. He's not a terrorist. He's an effective combatant leader who did a hell of a job on the battlefield. And, um, you know, America is just immature. Uh, we can't handle defeat. And as a result, we had to get our revenge. And I think that more than anything is what drove uh, Donald Trump to assassinate this man. One more difference that I, I think uh, is worth pointing out is that Jack Devine was working for a U.S. government that had tried deliberately to draw the Soviet Union into Afghanistan, whereas in the case of Qasem Soleimani, his government, Iran, that wasn't their uh, uh, doing to, to bring the U.S. into Iraq. That was the Bush administration and the people in Congress who enabled it, who chose to invade Iraq and Iran after fighting a brutal battle with Iraq in the 1980s, uh, where the U.S. was on the side of Saddam Hussein in killing hundreds of thousands inside Iran, 
and after Bush had called Iran part of the axis of evil, uh, was responding accordingly. But I don't want to get too far afield because I want to re- uh, turn to the uh, Iraqi WMD of today, the intelligence lies of today when it comes to Qasem Soleimani and the Trump administration. And on this front, I want to go to a clip of Mike Pompeo. Uh, he was asked about his claim, uh, about his administration's claim that the U.S. killed Soleimani uh, uh, in response to Soleimani planning imminent attacks. And this is what Pompeo said. There is no doubt that there were a series of imminent attacks that were being plotted by Qasem Soleimani. We don't know precisely when, and we don't know precisely where, but it was real. So that's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Scott Ritter, if you could respond to that, Pompeo saying, all in one sentence, there were a series of imminent attacks. We don't know precisely when, we don't know where. Well, if we don't know when, then they can't be by definition imminent. And if we don't know where, um, we, we, we can't really call them an attack. We can call it a, uh, uh, you know, we have a, a general feeling that uh, Qasem Soleimani um, was planning something against us. Uh, that lacks urgency. Um, so I, 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 I with, with all due respect to the Secretary of State, he's lying through his teeth. Um, and I think Congress would do very well to hold a hearing, bring him forward, get him under oath and grill him on this um, because he's not telling them the truth. Anytime we hear a government official say that we can't tell you more because of sources and methods, it means they're, they're lying. They're not telling the truth. Uh, the fact is throughout history, uh, the U.S. government has declassified extremely sensitive information when it, um, it, it you know, served their interest. To give you a, a key example, Ronald Reagan declassified very sensitive uh, signals intelligence information um, regarding the Soviet shootdown of uh, a Korean airline, uh, 007, um, over Sakhalin. Um, you know, uh, Colin Powell had uh, a lot of extremely sensitive information declassified uh, in support of his presentation to the Security Council uh, prior to the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And if I thought about it, I could come up with uh, many more examples. I'm a former intelligence officer. There are ways to declassify. There are ways to write around a source so that you can get the gist of the information out there with, without giving away the specific nature of uh, how you got it, etc. Um, but you, you put that sources and methods shield up there when you're trying to hide the fact that this isn't about a really hot piece of intelligence. This is about analytical judgment. And if the lead up to the Iraq war has taught us anything, the intelligence community's analytical judgments are very sensitive to the political demands of their bosses. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the Trump administration has been leaning very heavy on the intelligence community to provide some sort of intelligence-based justification for an operation that was decided well prior to uh, any targetable information coming up about Qasem Soleimani. Well, let's talk about Mike Pompeo specifically here. There was just a report in CNN uh, that quotes a source um, familiar with Pompeo privately who quotes Pompeo as having uh, said that killing Soleimani was a top priority. And the quote from this source speaking to CNN is, quote, I will not retire from public service until Soleimani is off the battlefield, unquote. You have that, plus the fact that uh, under uh, the Trump administration, 
the U.S. has created what I believe is called the Iran Mission Center at the CIA, uh, a uh, wing at the CIA specifically devoted to coming up with intelligence on Iran that could justify breaking the Iran nuclear deal and I presume also justify the basis for killing Soleimani. Can you talk to us, Scott Ritter, about what you know uh, on that front? Well, what I know is what's uh, only available in the uh, in, in the public domain. I don't have any um, you know secret source. Uh, I do have an experience with the intelligence community that allows me to you know read into what what I um, what I say. When you create a mission center, you're basically uh, within the the CIA within the intelligence community. You're you're basically saying this is a national priority. This is when you have a mission center, it gives the the manager the the person who runs the mission center the ability to draw upon national level resources to uh, to to put his marker down for prioritization for satellite coverage, for um, technical support, uh, SIGINT support, um, analytical support. Uh, so by creating the, an Iran mission center, we have basically sent a signal that um, regime change, because that's the only end game that's acceptable, that, that would be worthy of a creation of a mission center, a regime change is a priority of the uh, Trump administration of the United States government. Um, now, Pompeo's statements about Kusin, uh, you know, Kasim Soleimani, um, you know, I think they're derived from the president's desires. I, I mean, one of the things that's that's emerging about President Trump um, in terms of assessing his policies is that he is literally the anti-Obama. Um, if Obama did it, Trump's not going to do it. Or if Obama didn't do it, then Trump's going to do it. Um, we see that in North Korea. We see that with Iran, with the, uh, you know, the, 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 the JCPOA or the Iran nuclear agreement withdrawing from that. And we see that with Qasem Soleimani. Uh, I believe sometime in 2015, the, Trump or the Obama administration had uh, an opportunity to take Qasem Soleimani out. And at that time, they opted not to because of the, uh, you know, they, they, they did a risk management uh, assessment and said, uh, you know, we're going to lose far more than we're going to gain from this. Uh, when, when Trump came into power, he, you know, as president, I'm sure he was briefed on Qasem Soleimani and the importance that uh, he plays in uh, implementing a very effective Iranian policy of pushback of American, um, you know, power in the Middle East. And um, he was probably informed that uh, Obama, you know, he might have said on this pure hypothesis, uh, why aren't we killing this guy? And people said, well, you know, we had an opportunity, but we didn't. At that time, we, we said that uh, we're going to lose far more than we're going to gain. And when he heard it was Obama making that, he said, we're going to kill him. That's just my that's my take. It's as simple as that. There's no deeper analysis. I don't think Trump is capable of deeper analysis than that. Obama didn't kill Qasem Soleimani. Trump said, we're going to kill him. And a decision, and he didn't get any pushback from, um, you know, John Bolton, uh, who was National Security Advisor um, last summer, and uh, who has acknowledged that uh, this plan to kill Soleimani was hatched uh, while he was National Security Advisor. So once again, the notion that this was, um, you know, a, a target of immediate importance uh, that had to be dealt with because, uh, you know, there was going to be this this um, this attack on American uh, uh, forces. Is absurd. This is a long-planned campaign against not just Qasem Soleimani, but the Quds Force, the, uh, the the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, 
uh, I think we mentioned it earlier. There was a, um, you know, a, a, a senior member of the Quds Force, a, a financier in Yemen who was supposed to be assassinated the same day that Qasim Soleimani was. That's a coordinated strike. That's not a target of opportunity. Right. Let me uh, read that. That That is a uh, new story from the Washington Post. It's headlined, On the day U.S. forces killed Soleimani, they launched another secret operation targeting a senior Iranian official in Yemen, which was not successful, apparently. They did not kill him. Uh, but the Washington Post writes this, quote, The unsuccessful operation may indicate that the Trump administration's killing of Major General Qasem Soleimani last week was part of a broader operation than previously explained raising questions about whether the mission was designed to cripple the leadership of the IRGC or solely to prevent an imminent attack on Americans as originally stated. So more doubts there about the stated rationale of the Trump administration. And we can we can expand on that because thanks to, uh, well, first of all, we'll, we'll start before before we get into Prime Minister uh, Mahdi's uh, you know, uh, discussion or, or, or admission about what was really going on, you know, Qasim Soleimani is an um, experienced covert operator. Uh, he's also an experienced diplomat, meaning that there's a difference between the two. A covert operator travels undercover, in disguise, using false identities. He is capable of doing that. Had Soleimani been engaged in this plotting to uh, carry out um, you know, imminent attacks against American personnel and embassies, he would not have traveled into Iraq using his name on commercial carrier, um, you know, not, and then getting into a unsecured convoy in the open, um, being met by the head of protocol, uh, you know, diplomatic protocol. He traveled as a diplomat. Uh, so right off the bat, when I heard that, I realized that we were being lied to. And then when, you know, the, the truth comes out, when uh, the prime minister said he was traveling to Baghdad on the prime minister's invitation, carrying a personal communication from the Supreme Leader, Ali Khamenei, to the prime minister about how Iraq could facilitate um, negotiations between Iran and Saudi Arabia to lower the level of hostility in the Persian Gulf. I mean, this was a mission of peace that the man was engaged in, not a, a, you know, a, a, a mission of terror. And yet we killed the guy. We killed the one man who has the credibility, who had the resume to actually facilitate a nonviolent, peaceful outcome between this dispute between Iran and Saudi Arabia and looking down the road between the United States and Iran. This man's gone. He could have been the Yitzhak Rabin of, uh, of Iran, but instead he's dead. He's now the martyr who's going to motivate uh, generations of Iranians and Iraqis to uh, violently oppose uh, the American position in the Middle East. Finally, what do you make of how Iran retaliated to the murder of Qasem Soleimani in terms of its choice of targets inside Iraq and the fact that it basically alerted the U.S. of what it was about to do and avoided casualties by telling its Iraqi counterparts who then obviously alerted the U.S. about the missile strikes that were incoming from Iran? Well, Iran was in a very difficult situation because, um, you know, a, a national hero had been murdered, had been killed, and they were in the process of mourning him and burying him in the ground. And and that mourning process, um, you know, even even ginned up the emotions of the Iranian people even more. You saw hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people 
crowding the streets to to greet the coffin on its way to to to, to being buried. So, you know, you 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 can't ignore that. You cannot do nothing now. You, I thought the Iranians would wait longer. Um, that this would be revenge would be a dish served cold, and I believe they still will uh, gin up a genuine um, retaliation um, in in kind, meaning that there will be a senior American official whose life will be lost because of Trump's reckless actions. But the Iranian government also had to appease the people, had to be seen as doing something. And they also had to bring this crisis to an end because it was barreling towards what they do not want, which is a conventional war with the United States. That's the last thing Iran wants. So by targeting an American base, Al-Assad Air Base, uh, linking it to the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, whether or not that's true, I don't know if the drones actually flew out of there, if they came from Balad Air Base or elsewhere, but this is the Iranian story. They get to tell it any way they want to. Um, and, and, and firing ballistic missiles, not Katusha rockets, not mortars, but the actual strategic weaponry of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, they're seen as striking back, uh, a slap in the face of America. Um, these are very accurate weapons. I don't think the American public understands the advances that have been made in ballistic missile technology by the Iranians over the past decades. Uh, the missiles that they fired are precision weapons. They're not general area weapons like the scuds that were fired during the Gulf War. These are weapons that can hit a tent, it can hit a building, it can hit a vehicle. Um, and the Iranians have extremely accurate information about the layout of every American facility in the region, including Al-Assad Air Base. When they hit a tent, it's because they wanted to hit a tent. When they hit a, a spot in the runway, it's because they wanted to hit that spot in the runway. These targets were picked uh, to, to make a psychological point that we can hit you anywhere we want to, and we have opted not to kill your people at this time. Please de-escalate the situation. That message was sent. That message was received. And Trump um, wisely um, uh, decided to uh, accept that message and de-escalate. Yes, he went on TV. Yes, he blustered. Yes, he bragged. Yes, he lied. But the bottom line is uh, the Iranians did exactly what they needed to do. Contain this crisis so that it's not spinning out of control and it buys them time to choose the ultimate retaliation uh, when and where it best suits their strategic needs. Scott Ritter, former UN weapons inspector, former Marine Corps intelligence officer, author of Deal Breaker, Donald Trump and the Unmasking of the Iran Nuclear Deal. Thank you. Thank you.